I'll call for your attack squad, sir. No, 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 we can't go in there. Yogurt has the Schwartz. It's far too powerful. But, sir, your ring. Don't you have the Schwartz, too? No, he got the upside. I got the downside. See, there's two sides to every Schwartz. <laughs> Two, one, you are now listening to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I'm Chris Miranda, your host. And on today's show, I have uh, Aaron Lemke. You're back. I'm back. I'm, I'm so happy to be back. Thank you, Chris. I'm so glad you are. Um, dude, so tell me what you've been up to. What's going on these days? Oh, man. Um, for me right now, I've just been working away at uh, a, a few different projects for the Gear VR headset. Um, I'm going to try to have four or five different apps when it launches so i can kind of gauge you know what's working what's not working and then focus in on whatever seems to be working so samsung gear well not it's it's not the samsung gear it's the samsung developers conference is coming up in san francisco november 14th through the 15th will you be there no i didn't even know about this thing i saw road to vr posted a article today where uh, i guess ben and uh and uh, Bruce are going to be moderators, which is pretty cool. I didn't, I, I didn't even know about it. Yeah, I was, I was doing research for something completely different, and I just stumbled upon it. Um, and really? yeah, I, I wonder. Are you going? I, I wish, but I don't know if I can afford the ticket. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit of a uh, too rich for my blood. But it's, uh, man, I wish I could go. I, because yeah. they got, they got a, a VR. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's hefty, but it's at least four to six talks just. Straight oh, up really? VR, and Bruce wow. is Bruce and Ben are going to be out there. I saw Amir is going to be out there from Six Sense. Oh, nice. um, uh, Jan from uh, Omni is going to be there, and a few others, and a few other names that I've never seen before. Um, people from Samsung will be talking. Uh, so yeah, that's cool. I mean, I when I saw that art, when I saw that that Bruce and Ben are going to be there, I'm, I'm so glad that Samsung is trying to engage with the community you know because for a while we didn't i don't know we didn't hear much from samsung directly um but yeah i think this is a a a sign of good faith on their part you know they understand there's like this existing community that you know people people like us and the road to vr crew and the svvr crew and it's like you know we we love this stuff. It's good to include us. We're champions for your product definitely it's yeah it's definitely a good sign to see them uh give it give it this much effort in in terms of you know you're in your conference you're going to give you know a whole category to vr and developing for the vr gear um yeah it's it's exciting stuff so tell me about your development with uh, gear vr and by the way is it vr gear or gear vr it's gear vr right i'm saying gear vr i don't know though i mean say say whatever you want it just it just rolls off the tongue a little bit better gear vr i think gear vr yeah (laughs) so back to your projects what is it so so you're you're planning on doing a four to five sort of brainstorming sort of demos for for gear vr what's your what's your strategy yeah i mean i i less demos and more just like very very short experiences um i guess you could call them demos but to me to me a demo is unfinished and so far like two of these are already done i'm just waiting to put them out um but yeah, they're in the same vein of what I've been doing, um, sort of like nature-based and or music-based. Um, I don't know, there's these two aesthetics that I kind of bounce between that 
I think work really well in VR. One of them is is just nature, so like Eden River, um, and then the other one is kind of like abstract ambient space, colorful particle land, and that's Opera Nova, and uh, that aesthetic, that whole style of like dark environment but very bright colors and vi- bright particles looks really cool on the gear. Um, if if you're careful with how black your blacks are because if you're if you're if you're going into that super like the blackest black it can go you do get a lot of smearing artifacts especially if what's on top of it is really bright particle colors so there's some tricks that you can do to kind of to get away from that super black black but either way just like dark environments i think work well still because you know you can't see the lines in between the pixels whereas if you're in a really bright environment it's much more obvious um the kind of the, the screen door effect. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to give away too much about the specifics of the apps that I'm working on because they are, they're fairly simple and they're the kind of things that, you know, someone could come along and clone pretty easily and maybe I'm being paranoid, but at least for this first round, I'm going to keep everything kind of uh, close to the chest uh, until launch. Sounds good. What uh, <clears throat> what What do you think is going to distinguish you from the pack i mean eventually there's going it's going to come to a point where where people are going to realize whoa i guess i can i I guess i can just sort of drag and drop assets from the unity store and just you know and then place them and then place the camera view and add a little music but like you know where where do you strive to be different from the pack in that sense i you know it's gonna have to come from whatever my style is you know whatever's unique about me and i think you know, maybe at first these these apps that I'm coming out with aren't as unique as I would like them to be, um, and I, you know part of it is I I kind of want to play it safe at first and put out apps that I think will do well, apps that I think are accessible enough um, to be adopted by a lot of people. Um, and you know maybe that sounds weird to some people, but I look at like John Mayer had kind of a cool philosophy with his whole career. Like, you know, early on he was just playing singer-songwritery acoustic kind of you know so, some of that stuff is is kind of lame I think, but um, a lot of it's good. But either way, like like John Mayer went to Berkeley. He's a crazy good guitar player, like electric guitar player, like Stevie Ray Vaughan style. Um, but he made a conscious choice early on in his career to make more accessible music, more you know, kind of pop music that he knew a lot of people would would latch on to. And then once he had that sort of bedrock layer, then he could go do the stuff that he really loved, which is, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan style, you know, ripping acoustic or uh, electric guitar stuff. So that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of taking a page out of his book in, the, in, the, in that sense. So let me get this straight. He, he, so he basically utilized his talents to create something not generic, but something appealable and accessible to the masses so yeah. that then he can get the money so that then he can play with that money and do whatever he wanted after. Yeah, and I th- you know, if I go out and make some crazy experimental VR app like for my first consumer app, it's risky, you know, and it's kind of unnecessary. Like I want to make those crazy apps eventually, but it makes it makes to me it makes a little bit of sense to have like some, you know, a, a bedrock to build from. 
rather than just jump straight into the crazy stuff. This, the crazy stuff will definitely come. I can't wait for that stuff to come. <laughs> well, I, I like your style, but but I, let me let me continue challenging you just a little bit further in terms of so. But wouldn't you say, for example, VR itself is risky? That's true. That's true. And again, this goes back to maybe you know us kind of just have having swallowed the Kool Aid so hard that we forget like that to most people VR is really risky and really crazy still. Yeah, I guess I, I mean you're totally right. <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh I, I guess making it accessible isn't isn't a bad thing either. That De- definitely how, how could it be? Yeah, and it, they're not going to be like lame accessible. They're just not as challenging as they're more utilit like they're more utilitarian kind of apps for doing specific things and they're less narrative and they're less kind of like like immerse you in a crazy experience they're more for achieving stuff um, if that, that makes, makes any sense like relaxation sort of stuff like yeah, the yeah. better states of con- like mind and consciousness yeah exactly exactly oh well i like that and i don't see anything wrong with that i mean yeah. i just downloaded a uh, an app on my phone the first time ever a, a guided meditation app just because i was oh, like really? let me uh let me give this a shot I, I i used to do in middle school i used to do yoga they, that was my PE. It was uh, I used I went to a yoga school for middle school. That's and freaking awesome. It was yeah, it was interesting. Um, but <laughs> the thing about yoga when you're uh, what eleven years old is that we're <laughs> a lot of kids aren't mature enough. <laughs> you make jokes like you know farting noises when we're stretching and stuff. I don't know. It was it was uh, a, I I don't regret it though. But uh, yeah, where I was going with this was. Um, yeah, guided meditation app. Uh, there's a market for that. There's a market, and I think there will be a market for VR relaxation mm-hmm. experiences slash VR meditative. You know, more escape. Would it be an escape? Would you would you use that word? Yeah, I th- I think so. Uh, you know, it's blocking out the physical world, so you're at least ex- escaping from that. Um, but there's things that you can do, and this is part of what I've been experimenting with. You can just, really... just one sec. Do you think you can speak a little closer to your mic? Oh, sorry, sorry. I keep moving. I keep moving around. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so on, on one hand, it is designed to block out the physical world. But on the other hand, part of what I've been experimenting with is there's really cool stuff that you can do to make the user very, very aware of their body and... just just that awareness of your body and kind of like how it feels and how your mind feels you can do certain things in virtual reality that that really shine a light on that um yeah so that's definitely an area that i'm that i'm experimenting with tell me more about your experience with uh the gear vr like the hardware itself um you know what are your what are your thoughts on it and do you have any concerns in any regard in terms of the hardware limitations um yeah well the big thing that i didn't expect when i got into virtual reality was you know that a a few years down the line i'd be making mobile apps that's really the weird thing (laughs) um and you know we've been spoiled developing for for pc platforms because you have a lot more horsepower and you can do a lot more um and you really got to scale it back on mobile because the phone just you know just can't handle it um that being said developing for mobile makes you a much better developer because you have to 
pay attention to every little thing that could be slowing your game down and you know really pay attention to draw calls and memory and all these things that i've my you know before it was kind of like you know whatever i've got plenty of plenty of headroom on this pc like i don't have to worry about this stuff but but having to keep all that in mind uh it really does make you a better developer especially when you go back to pc how do you how do you deal around those obstacles like polygon count or or mm-hmm. or pixel count like how do you uh, do you write them down somewhere and 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 keep them overhead so that you're like constantly reminded about them or you just you know you're just uh, you're just developing on it for so long that you're just aware of it well it's kind of trial and error like every time you add a new thing to the scene you have to build out a a, a build and, and test it and you know if you can feel the frame rate tank, then that thing, you have to take that thing out that you just put in. Um, so it's it's really like iterative like that. I Now, having done that, I have rough ideas of poly count and stuff. And the documentation for the mobile SDK is actually really good. And they have kind of guidelines for what the uh, the hardware can handle. Uh, another another of the big issues is just, is just the damn thing gets so hot <laughs> if you run it for too long. Um, and you know it straps to your face, and it can fog up the lenses, and it's a little bit weird. Uh, I was at uh, ACL Austin City Limits Music Festival uh, a few weeks ago, and Samsung sponsors one of the stages there. And I I knew that going in, and I was kind of in the back of my mind thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they had a Gear VR booth there? You know, because Samsung is sponsoring this. And sure enough, Samsung was there, and they had these little a little booth, a little tiny booth with no signs, and they were showing off Gear VR. And <laughs> I kept checking in, like, throughout the whole weekend. And honestly, there was never a line. There was never more than one or two people in there at a time. And I think it's just because they weren't really advertising it that well. Like, people didn't know what the hell this thing was. Um, that being said, when I tried it, uh, <laughs> I walked in there, and the lady... Like, they had one that was working, and they were supposed to have four or five, and the lady was like, yeah, you know, they're just all overheating. We can't we can't handle this heat out here. You know, it was pretty hot during ACL. We're down in Texas, and uh, yeah, man, the heat, they were really having troubles with the heat. And, I, I mean, they were demoing nonstop all day, you know, so it's bound to be a problem, but still, it's it's pretty rough, and it's definitely something you have to think about in the development process. Yeah, wow, that's uh that's definitely something to think about for sure. Because <laughs> in in the way around it, it's you know, it's on on the one hand it's annoying that it gets overheated and it slows down, but on the other hand it's you know, it's just another design constraint that you have to work around and sometimes a lot of creativity can come as a result of design constraints like that. So in this case, it basically means your experience can't be more than twenty, twenty five, thirty minutes. Um because the phone will just get too damn hot. <laughs> so that's actually kind of nice. And, you know, for me, I I enjoy making lots of small little short experiments. And so that actually lends itself pretty well to the whole mobile platform because you can't. You can't have hour, two-hour-long experiences. Um, so, yeah, I'm optimistic that putting out a bunch of short things... Uh, is going to work in the short term. So the weakest link in all this in the in the Samsung Gear VR hardware is the battery. It's it's going to be it's going to come down to the the battery not just being hand, not being able to handle the processing that's going on in there. That 
over it will overheat. Is that is that what yeah, I'm getting, or what I, do you I think? Get, well, I don't know enough about phones to know which part of it's overheating. But yeah, I guess it's probably the battery, right? <laughs> I haven't actually like taken it out or anything, but um, yeah, it's it's kind it's kind of annoying. It's kind of an issue, and that be, you know this is version one of gear and for sure they're gonna keep putting these things out you know yeah that's for sure just uh, the well here's the here's the thing what you're paying for is because it's gonna be what around two hundred dollars i don't know i think I so know. so around that i think don't quote me on that but it's uh around it's it's a, a, a yeah, it's more than buying a cardboard for sure. <laughs> and <laughs> what you're getting is an ex, it's, an, it's a sub 20 milli, millisecond uh, experience, and you're getting really good graphical fidelity, and you're getting a really nice screen resolution. Um, yeah, I, I I like gear. I don't I don't I, I just <laughs> I just think it's gonna. Hmm. I I just hope that it doesn't. Uh, you know, like, you know how people are overreact over Apple's iPhones, like Bendgate, you know, the, yeah. the phone bends a right, little, right. like, you know, now we'll, we'll see how, you know, how Gear VR handles in terms of, in, in the public scrutiny, like. Geargate. Geargate. <laughs> no, I, that, that kind of stuff happens every time Apple launches a product. It's like, people just love ratting on Apple because it's Apple, and they love picking apart and finding, like, some issue that's maybe not even really an issue. Like I have, a, I know a bunch of people who have the iPhone six, and none of them have bent it. Like you have to go out of your way to bend that. And it's the same thing when the five came out. It had all these battery issues, or like when the four came out. That's the that's the first iPhone I had. It's the one I still have. There were like all the antenna issues, and it just. I mean, it's not even really an issue. It's just something that people can talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be ter- something that people will talk about the moment one of them, you know, melts. Catches on fire. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just, yeah, because people like that sensationalism. It might be one, like two or two or three of them out of what, you know, 100,000 that get out there. And right. yeah, it'll the sensationalism will just follow. Yeah, well, the same thing happened to Tesla. Like, people just want to hate Tesla and, you know, two or three of their batteries overheated and... There was, you know, there's a whole firestorm about it. So, dude, I just saw, uh, I saw, not to get too off track, but I just saw a talk uh, with uh, Elon Musk, and he was talking about how their battery is insane. Like they can, they can, they're well, not the battery, the engine on that on that car is insane. Like they have that the engine weighs sixty pounds, and it could produce, was it? What was it like five? No, two hundred fifty. Two hundred fifty horsepower. That's insane for sixty pound piece of thing that you can lift and you can produce two hundred fifty horsepower. And um, I, I, dude, it'd be cool if they could, you know, miniaturize that sort of battery technology slash engine technology and put it on yeah. a smartphone so that you can power it with Gear VR. Yeah, the other thing about that engine is electric motors don't have transmission, so they don't have to spool up all the power. So when you floor it on a Tesla, the power is instantly there, and, like, you're going. So it's it's actually pretty badass from a performance standpoint. The one weird thing is it doesn't make any noise. So, like, the, the guy across the street from my house has a Tesla, and, like, he'll pull out of his driveway sometimes when I'm walking outside, and it's like, you can't even hear it. If you were, if you were riding a bike or, like, crossing a street, 
you're not going to hear this thing coming up. It's like a stealth car. Yeah. Yeah, wait till they get those... Um, yeah, that's... And that I don't know if that's an issue. It has Again, we're, we're way off track, but like I wonder if that's an issue for people who with with eyesight like you know seeing disabilities like like blind people yeah absolutely or i remember i rode my bike all around ut when i was going there and so got so many times almost completely wrecked into cars cars that were making noise so i can't even imagine when they're not making noise yeah well i i'd still want a tesla because that those cars are fucking awesome Uh, i'm so game whenever they come out with the driverless one i'm totally in yes yes did you see that hoverboard by the way on uh on kickstarter that the what hendon yeah 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 what dude so they it's like uh magnets man i don't even know how they work but it's like magnets how do they work (laughs) they they basically um they use this levitation sort of technique using magnets and a copper i think it's a copper floor and yeah you're you're literally floating on a board and they built a ramp and they can go up and down on the ramp uh with this floating board that's on this kickstarter it's amazing. I mean, the, the cool thing about it is like it's not just yeah, hoverboards are awesome, but they're also they, they were talking about how they could levitate houses out of danger's way, or they could levitate, you know, uh, who knows, like all sorts of stuff eventually with that. Wow. Yeah, that'll be insane. I want a levitating car already. Like wow. yes, yeah. <laughs> Self driving too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to VR. Because uh, <laughs> we can talk about whatever all day, every day. Um, so at, at this point, you know, are you as a developer? Are you, are you, you know, what do you what do you think about like the release date for CV one at this point? Like, what are you, you know, and how how does not knowing when it's getting released affect you in any way, shape, or form? Well, it's pretty annoying. It's definitely very annoying. And I'm, you know, I'm working on gear stuff. And even with, like, I'm pretty in on all that. And even in that circumstance, I don't know anything. Like, they don't really tell us anything. And, you know, I love Oculus. But they, it kind of feels like they're just banking on all these independent developers. Like, risk, like, putting up all this risk and kind of forfeiting everything. Just because they they want to be on the first VR platform, it's like... Even if I throw a fit about whatever, there's always going to be somebody who's going to come in and replace me and who says, like, oh, I don't care. I just want to be on the first, you know, consumer VR platform. So it's a little aggravating in that sense. So I feel like we don't have that much power. But, you know, maybe when we have apps out and there's apps that are hopefully selling well, we'll we'll have a little bit more clout to throw around. Um, but with CV1, man, I don't even know, like... It's 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 like we've been de- developing. It's like we've been designing products for a moving target for the past two years. You know, so a game that's great on the DK one, you know, it's it may not be great on DK two or CV one. It's like there's there's a constantly moving target, so it's tricky to de- to design for. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I have I have no idea about. I'm 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 kind of focusing on gear because that's going to actually happen within the next few months. And CV1, I don't know. I'm just hoping that they put out a release date and then give give us time to make stuff for that release date. Would you? I mean, would uh, how much time is enough time? Do you think? You know, six months, eight months. Depends on the the game. Depends on the product. Um, 
like I said, I really enjoy making quick, short experiences. Um, so I think I'll, you know, even if they only give us two months, a month lead time, I can still have something out that, that'll work. Um, it may not be the most grandiose experience ever, but it'll be cool, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm excited for whatever you come up with, and that's, you know, creeping inside the crevices of your mind. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, well, I, okay, so what, CV1 is going to have positional tracking again, which is going to be tight, because one of the design constraints on gear is that you don't have positional, and so I, for the past few months, have kind of been in this mindset of, like, okay, we don't have positional, let's make cool experiences that don't require positional. But... I got a little taste of developing for DK2 right before I dove into gear. And, man, there's so much cool stuff that you can do with positional. It's just, like, that's really what VR is, is a nice head mount on display. You have a little bit of movement. You can kind of walk around and move. You can look into stuff. You can stick your face down into whatever, you know, high-detail model it, it may be. But, yeah, man, that... I can't wait. I can't wait to get back into positional tracking. Yeah, positional um, is definitely something that helps so much with uh, sim sickness. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, man, it, it it helps a lot, really. And and actually, part of uh, Carmack's talk, I've been so I've been rewatching that talk that he gave at Connect because even when I was, you know, it's so dense. And when I was there, I caught maybe a third of it, you know, and and so I've rewatched it two or three times and. There's a whole chunk where he talks about these new sensors that that are velocity sensors. Um, and if they're accurate enough, what that allows you to do is instead of looking at absolute head position to do positional tracking, which is kind of what the DK1, DK2 camera does, um, you can just look at the velocity. That's all you really need is velocity and X, Y, and Z. And... If you have that, the cool thing about that is it takes the whole problem from a six degree of freedom problem, which is, you know, positional, absolute positional tracking like the DK2 does, to a three degree of freedom problem, which is all you need is negative and positive velocities in the X, Y, and Z directions. And if you have that, then you have positional tracking. And so apparently, maybe the next wave of cell phones is going to have these velocity sensors in them. And what that would mean is... We can have positional tracking in gear, which would just be incredible. I mean, that's that's the ultimate. It's a wireless positional tracking headset that that's quick. Yeah, man. And hopefully, will last more than four hours because that would be <laughs> yeah. you know that would be ideal. If, yeah, that that I thought you know I think that definitely solving positional tracking for mobile is going to be is going to be huge, and I'm sure John Carmack or someone people that's you know. Or, Definitely, people at Oculus are working on this, but yeah, I I, w I didn't catch that part about the velocity sensors, and I'm gonna have to go back and watch it because I've been wa I, pr I watched it twice already, so I'm gonna have yeah. to do go back for a third and uh, see. Yeah, there's a whole part where he goes through. Most likely, I will not understand any a word that comes out <laughs> of his mouth because he's just on another plane. But well, yeah, I've watched it three times, and there's still large chunks where I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. I don't. What? How would that feel like, man? Just being John Carmack, like being Carmack. having that sort of brain. How, I don't know, how, how would you go about the world? What would you do with that superpower? I I would I would 
I would do VR on it. I think he's, you know, I, I would do what he's doing. <laughs> okay, well, I'll say one thing. I I really love John Carmack, and I kind of, I go through phases of, of like, ha- being obsessed with people and, you know, Louis C.K., Bill Nye the Science Guy. Right now it's John Carmack. And the crazy thing about John Carmack is here's a guy who was around at the birth of 3D games and directly contributed to the birth of 3D games. It kind of invented the first-person shooter back in the early 90s. And within that man's lifetime, he's now working on the first consumer virtual reality platform. So it's, if you look at how far it's come in his lifetime, it's astonishing. And it's, you know, it's a testament to his genius that he's right in the middle of both of these huge revolutions. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, you know, the book Masters of, of Doom? Have you, have you? I haven't, I haven't read it, but I, yeah, I've heard a lot about it. There's going to be a second part to that book. Uh, ah, okay. There's gotta yeah. be. I mean, I mean, this, cause <laughs> the story after, uh, the story sort of ends when, when, where, where John Carmack is, uh, you know, working in the armadillo, um, it's all pre-Oculus. And so there's, there's, there's been so many momentum, momentous moments since the, you know, Oculus first came on the scene that I think, yeah, someone's better. Someone should be someone. Yeah. I think there should be someone writing a book right about now on this, on that sort of that second chapter of like, you know John Carmack's life and the this evolution evolution of 3D graphics and yeah. gaming and the next wave of human computer interaction um right or at the very least someone needs to be making a documentary about all this and like there there are people who kind of go to all these events and shoot footage but to my knowledge there's not anyone working on like a big comprehensive um renaissance of VR documentary and that you know that needs to happen. Keanu Reeves is doing a show, but I don't know if it's a documentary style show. Wasn't he? Do you remember? Oh, what about he... virtual reality? Yeah. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> I saw it. On, yeah, it was on Reddit. Um, and yeah, he's he's working with. Uh, I can't. I can't remember now. I think it was Christopher Nolan. No, Christopher Nolan is doing another different, another VR project. Um, you know, really? the director of Inception and Dark Knight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And but, Interstellar, but Stellar, which is going to be amazing. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I, I actually saw the trailers. I'm a big, I love space. I, I want to go there. And <laughs> big that, fan of space. Yeah, that movie tickles my fancy. Um, that movie the, looks really cool. Yeah, but but Keanu Reeves is is working on a virtual reality show oh, or awesome. documentary. I can't recall, but it's very I appropriate. Know that. Yeah, who who better to to guide the show than him? Yeah, are you still close to the mic? Are you, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry, I, I'm going in and out. Apologies. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. So where what where are you in with Eden River these days and in uh, Upper Nova? What's going on with those projects? Well, I'm glad you asked, Chris. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eden River, the PC version, is currently being optimized even further. Because some people are still having problems running it, and we don't want that. And uh, yeah, I'm gearing up for a Steam release sometime in November. I really was hoping to have a date that I could tell people before I came on the podcast, but there's just a bunch of variables that haven't been locked down yet. So mid-November, that's that's when I think it's going to be on Steam. And uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome, and I'm very excited to to do that. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, there's going to be a couple little extra things too. Um, uh, I'm also working on a Gear VR version of Eden River, which for a while I didn't think was going to be possible, but I've done some experiments and I've been working on that pretty much full time for the past month and a half and it's coming along pretty nice. It's going to be very cool. It's going to be different than the PC version, but I think in some ways it'll be better um, because you can do some really cool things because you don't have wires. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then and then Opera Nova, I, I I don't know. I mean that initially like when I first had the idea it was going to be this huge like epic fantasia thing and it very well still could be, but if it ends up being that it's probably going to be like a CV1 release. I don't think I'm going to do Opera Nova on gear. I have some other music-based kind of puzzle stuff. Um, that will be on gear. That's kind of in the same wor- vein as Opera Nova. But um, yeah, the f- I, I want to develop kind of that demo into a full-on, you know, epic experience. And I want to give it the time that it deserves. So that's probably not going to be for another year or so. Yeah, that's uh, well, I can to- to- totally understandable, really, because I think um, I don't know where you VR developers find the time in the day to uh, get shit done, really. Like, I think <laughs> there's so much going on these days, um, just in terms of the VR community exploding and, you know, mm-hmm. which path do you want to take? You know, are you going to develop for mobile? Are you going to develop for web? Are you going to develop for through Unity or Unreal Engine 4? Or, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just. And and then, <clears throat> are you the type that like you know uh, that tries to you know work on one primary primary project but like keep another one in the back just in case because you don't want to put your eggs in just one basket or? Oh yeah, I yeah I can't remember who said it. I think it may have been Brandon Biggs, the guy behind uh, Zombies on the Holodeck. Um, but it's it's a great time to have ADD if you're a VR developer because your target's constantly moving and. You know, you have to be able to pivot so quickly and just be able to adapt to whatever the next platform is. So my strategy is like, okay, well, what's the first one that's going to come out? Okay, that's gear. Let's make apps for that. Whatever we learn from that can also be applied to whenever CV1 comes out. Um, The web stuff is super exciting. I don't know. I don't really know how to get into that. But that's, I mean, that's going to be huge, like like what Altspace is doing and there's a couple of people in Vancouver doing some cool similar stuff. Um but yeah, my strategy is to be as uh as agile as possible. Yeah. What do you you and you're using Unity is that is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's part of the, I mean the only reason that you can be that agile is because of Unity because it's so it's so easy to build for different platforms. And how's how has it evolved since you started out? Like how how's Unity has it has it gotten better and better, or do you notice so, subtle differences? Be, you know, before and after. Like, how's it how's it coming along? Well, there haven't been a ton of updates to Unity that are VR specific. Um, at I was at Unite this year up in Seattle, which is Unity's conference, and I kind of I I got to meet uh, this guy Pete Moss, who's kind of the advocate for VR at Unity. And he's totally sold on it. He, you know, he he's talks to Oculus a lot. And uh, his goal for Unite was to get all the kind of 
higher up people at Unity to try VR and to get into VR. And from what I, under- what I understand is he he succeeded, or at least that's what he told me. And so right now Unity is doing a lot of stuff to make VR work better uh, in Unity. They're also working with a guy named Aaron Leiby over at Valve who's been developing the Steam VR uh, Unity integration. So the idea behind that is it's basically it's basically an Oc- like what Oculus has made for integrating their headset into Unity, except it's designed to work specific with Steam. And the really cool part is um, you're going to just have this one kind of camera controller set up in your Unity scene, but whatever VR headset you plug into it, it'll change the distortion to match the lenses and it'll do all this stuff internally so that you don't have to build 20, you know, once there's 20 different VR headset products, you don't have to rebuild your game 20 times to to work with all these different uh, peripherals. And, you know, that's that's awesome because even just dealing with, like, DK1 and DK2 and gear, each one of them has a different SDK that works the best. And it's a huge pain in the ass just to go in and like change all this stuff. So I'm very I'm very excited that that Valve is um, is stepping into the ring there. And you know it's in their best interest. They really like VR. They want they want to have a ton of VR games on Steam. And part of that means supporting every single different headset that comes out. Yeah, they are definitely in there to gain a lot from it in terms of, you know, just supporting the, mm-hmm. the medium and the platform as much as they can. Because at the end of the day, they're the key holders to all this content and content will be king in the metaverse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it really stands to benefit them. But yeah, it's you know, true. I wonder how what is I wonder what sorts of other projects they've they've got going on in the you know, in secret that no one else knows yeah. about, you know. Um, well, well, yeah, I will, I will say, say, I don't know, I don't know how much we're supposed to talk about, but, but I, I, I got to go to Valve and, and uh, we got Eden River running in their, their room VR setup. And I was just amazed, like, how open they were and how welcome they were because I went in and I had my game and, you know, we spent three hours getting it to run on their system and they... Luckily, like my project, we had to pr- transfer my project onto their computer, and like it was four gigs, so it took a long time to transfer. But luckily, I just got to sit and chat with them and like shoot the shit about VR, and they were just so they were so open. Um, but one thing I did kind of pick up a little bit covertly, maybe, is there's an internal struggle at Valve. There's people who think that VR is very important and is the future, and there's people who think that it's not important and they should be focused on other things. Um, and so I, I kind of, I got to see some, some really cool arguments. I mean, like, this is how Valve works. They just have really smart people, and they argue a lot until they come up with ultimately the best decision. And, yeah, there's an internal struggle going on right now about how, many, how much resources they put to VR. And I, th- I think they're in it for the long haul. I mean, they, they know that this is going to be a huge platform, and they're excited about it. They've got some really great people working on VR there, so... It, it, it's it's looking good. I would not be surprised if those internal struggles are occurring at Sony, at, at oh, Facebook. Yeah, good um, Because I, yeah, I, f- I feel like they're the 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 type of people that wouldn't believe in VR. They're everywhere, and they're just you know they're you know they could be 
It could be anyone. Uh, and I feel like um, the the thing about this that that uh, that argument, like you know, what is the next medium? You know, after smartphones, what what follows after that? What follows after the touch screen? And you know, I it's as for as much as the Kool Aid as I like to drink. You know, I will probably I'll be one of the first to admit that I I I don't I don't know. <laughs> I think VR is you know it, it, my biases and my and my my passions lead me to believe that, and and even through being able to observe the world, I I can come out to hypothesize that you know what the next medium, the next platform after the touch screen after the mobile device is going to be the VR headset slash AR headset. Um, but uh but it could it could very well be holograms or something like that or like you know, like Google just bought or uh, five you know they just bought Magic Leap for 100 million and supposedly that's like a holographic sort of company I don't I that's the rumors I don't know very well but I mean what do you you know how, what do you think about that the internal argument like how would you react to someone saying to you you know uh, someone who would come up and said say like Aaron you know uh, how how can you be so sure that VR is going to be the next medium and 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 why not you know this or that other technology? Yeah. Well, that's exactly the thing. Is what what are the other contenders? To my you know maybe augmented reality, but everyone who's smart who knows about these types of things says VR can happen first because there's a lot of similar problems that need to be solved for AR. But if you can solve them with VR first, you know it makes it a lot easier. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no new variation of touch. I mean, maybe like the leap motion, but that's still has its pro. I mean, I love leap, but that still has its problems. It's not the best interface. Um, I mean, yeah, there's no new iteration of touch. That's going to be even better. Uh, so it, to me, it seems pretty obvious. It has to be VR. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what else it's going to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, at the end, at the end of the day, like predicting the future is really, really hard. But you know, if I, if that's why I'm going all out doing podcasting and organizing <laughs> meetups about VR because this yeah. is. And if you make, make enough predictions, predictions then, then some, some of them are bound to come true. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Sort of just yeah. a shotgun, throw a bird shot at it, and eventually one of them will hit the target. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, like, do you think that, you know, do you think that mass adoption will take place within the next five years as, as everybody else has been, you know, sort of predicting or hoping? I'm hoping it happens a lot sooner. I don't know. I don't have any data to back that up, but I just, I hope it does. Um I think I don't know. I really, it's going to come down to that wow factor, like that first time people put on that headset and it's mm. going to be so insane cuz cuz Crescent Bay is a was a transformative sort of experience for me like oh, yeah. that was yeah. unlike anything I've ever ever experienced <laughs> before and I can't wait to do it again um and yeah. you know the average person off the street who puts this thing on at Best Buy or Target or wherever you know they're going to they're not going to be ready for it like they're going to be yeah, like yeah. whoa where did you take me? <laughs> if if they sh- if if they ship Crescent Bay as CV1, it's gonna blow people away. Like it's already good enough. We, they don't need to do anything else. Maybe the headphones, whatever. But like that's gonna blow people away. And 
I mean, the the ant the the question of adoption rate and all that stuff. Like, normally you look at you look at precedents, so like other products that have other technology products that have been similar. But the thing about VR is there aren't really any. Like nothing. Like you said, if you're going to Best Buy and you put it on, it's not like you pick up the first iPhone. And, you know, it, like, completely transport, transports you to this other world and totally changes how you think about perception and reality. You know, it's like that type of potency in a product hasn't existed before. Um, I mean, the iPod was awesome, but it didn't change, like, how you perceive reality, which is what virtual reality does. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just going to be fun to watch, and there's it's hard... It's hard to predict. It's hard to tell the future. Definitely. Well, even if they, you know, the exciting thing is like CV, um, Crescent Bay is that good. And CV1 is going to be that much better because they're going to, if it gets released next summer, I I wonder how much work they'll be able to put even more into it. Like, yeah, good point. uh, That's, uh, it's exciting stuff, really very exciting times up ahead. But, um, I just hope my wallet can afford the computer that is going to be able to run that thing. I mean, yeah. is that a, do you think that's a, a legitimate issue though? Like being able to have a computer that uh, the hardware that runs something so crazy, like a, a Crescent Bay that like ninety hertz per second, like that's like that's crazy. Uh, I I kind of think, at least for a while, these mobile headset solutions are going to be kind of the mainstreams. Uh, interaction with VR. There's always going to be the hardcore community who has the really intense computers, um, and they're going to be buying CV1 and they're going to be going, you know, going into all these crazy worlds. But I kind of think for the short term, it's going to be mobile is going to be the the most popular platform because it's so damn accessible. You know, there's something like 10 million Note 3s out in the world right now. Um, and when you think about that, when you think about all the other companies who are making mobile ready vr headsets uh you know in in a year or in a few months even no matter what phone you have you're going to be able to find a vr headset that'll work with it um that is i mean many of these aren't very good quality (laughs) does that i mean so a lot of them are bad quality that's how i should say it uh, a lot of them have too much latency, and many of them aren't doing distortion correction. Um, but I'm hopeful that that will improve in the next six to 12 months. Um, and then, yeah, anyone with a cell phone will have VR, which is really kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, uh, there's, I mean, uh, there's someone who was, I think, there, uh, at the hackathon. I was at this VR hackathon a little bit ago, and uh, some some reporter asked me like why what makes you so sure that VR is going to because I I, I yeah I kind of went wild on the guy I told him like that VR is going to change life on Earth as we know and it's going to permeate every aspect of human life and he was just like what makes you so um, so 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 positive so confident in that in that prediction and I was like well everybody well not everybody but like at least by 2020 4.5 billion human beings on planet Earth will have smartphones. And essentially, that's pretty much all you need for your VR device. It's not, obviously, a Gear VR or, your, or Oculus Rift, but it's a, it's a good gateway slash intro mm-hmm. to the medium as a way to, mm-hmm. again, interact with the computer. It's um, so And they're getting faster and faster, so that's definitely 
uh, definitely, you know, a given. And, you know, going back to the whole Oculus CV1, you know, having to run a super crazy computer, this leads me to believe, if things go that route, this leads me to believe that arcades are going to make a comeback. Be mm, I hope so. Yeah, because if you want, like, if you're if you want an ultra sort of ultra high quality experience inside virtual reality, um, you know, you're gonna need a, a a machine that can run that sort of stuff. I think being able to put it in a physical space, mm. in an arcade, and using the technology of today to like now you carry around a you know, a, 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 a sign-in in there, and you have leaderboards, and, you know, sort of what VRcade is doing, but, you know, if if you can pull it off with, with the Rift, I think, you know, arcades yeah. will be huge, and it can only help propagate the medium faster, I think. Yeah, I was going to bring up VRcade. They're kind of attempting to do that, um, and there's also uh, Mike Lindsay and Ben Teitler. Do you know either of those guys up in Seattle? You've, you've met... Mike before yeah they're up in Seattle yeah yeah and and Ben has his own crazy mocap VR system that's very very good um and I you know I've we've we've all talked about it a lot and tried to wrap our heads around what the business model is and the truth is like if you have a big really nice mocap VR setup you can't run that many people through it in a day and the numbers kind of just don't work out. Um, what you would need is a bunch of smaller kind of arcade machine installation type deals. Like I always think of the arcade game Silent Scope. If you ever played that, it's like really cool sniper arcade machine where there's a, you look into the scope like on the on the they've got a big plastic gun controller thing like Time Crisis or something. And you look into the scope, and there's a display in the scope, and so you can like look through the world and snipe at shit. So just like that sort of integrated controller arcade cabinet setup could work. Like if you have a bunch of these, and this ends up being a Dave and Buster's, but like kind of a high dollar Dave and Buster's, um, and maybe you can supplement your crazy mocap multiplayer VR arena with these smaller types of deals. But I don't know. It's just. It's tough. It's tough to make all the numbers work. Here, I let, let's start a business. Let's do this right now. We're gonna plan okay. out an arcade, and I have, I have, I think I have a solution to this conundrum that we okay. that you're speaking of, uh, because the you you don't really we you could use the mocap system because then you can do cool things like send people back videos of uh, recordings of their player character as they oh, were in there, yeah. you know, and they can you know show it off yeah. to their friends like, look at me, I was. You know, name whoever, right? But you don't really need that to like have, because at the end, like, because what 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 is it that the arcade is given the the user that the user doesn't have? At this point, it's the, you know, it's just the computer, it's just having the hardware to run something ultra high def. And for example, zombies on the holodeck. I remember you don't really, you didn't need a mocap system. All you needed was the Razer Hydras. Uh, positional mm -hmm. tracking and and you're in there you're in you're in a small little room so mm -hmm. i think it can be pulled off without the mocap system even uh just vr arcades uh that are just more not more just simpler <laughs> not, not yeah. having to get that complex with mocaps 
I mean, yeah. even with mocap, I feel like there gotta, there's gotta be a way to standardize that that way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if you can have laser tag arenas, and I'm sure laser tag is a completely different beast that is just, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you can standardize somehow mocap capturing VR cadence somehow. But what do you think? What do you think? Do you think it's that you you can have VR cadence without mocap systems? Was that that be? Yeah, yeah, I think I think you could have a bunch of smaller things that that would make a lot more sense actually like as romantic as the crazy holodeck mocap setup is it's it's a lot more realistic to have a bunch of smaller things so yeah i, I don't know <laughs> let's let's start a company let's do it let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> a vr arcade no and, and i mean the, the cool thing the mocap thing is you look down at your hands you look down at your feet and you're like holy shit uh it, it's this is my body in there but um but 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 yeah, and and the, the the mocap is very powerful. Like, I got when I was up in Seattle, I got to do um, a couple of different ones. Ben, Ben and Mike aren't doing the suit mocap, like with the golf balls on it. But uh, these guys, uh, uh, Forrest, and I forget the other guy's name, but they have a full mocap setup. And I went and did like full on, put on the suit, full avatar. And that is amazing. When you have a one-to-one avatar going on, that is, it's incredible. It's unlike anything I've ever done. And it kind of made me rethink VR. Like there's this, you know, what we think of as VR is like the DK1, DK2. And, you know, avatars aren't really a part of that yet. Um, But man, it's incredible. When you can look down at your leg and it's actually a leg, uh, it's just, it's a new level. I, I can't wait till that gets more mainstream. Definitely. Yeah, I wonder though, like, uh, how, who who will make it mainstream? I, I was, I saw a, a dis- sort of a discussion on Reddit where like someone was saying like, because um, you know why? It was because of uh, the new CEO of Unity and John Riticello and Reddit did not like him very well very much because of something he said a while ago something about you know, charging players for ammo every time they were they were playing a freemium game um so so that was the context under which they were judging the guy and you know they were saying like well he's gonna bring all these bad practices over to unity um the point was like at the during the bottom of the conversation at the bottom of the conversation i was reading god i spent too much time on reddit someone was saying like um you know, you indies, you think you're gonna, you think it's you guys that are gonna bring out the mainstream. You think you, it's, it's obviously not. It's gonna be the big studios who are gonna come over and sweep you guys over, and move you, uh, move you aside. You know, what are you, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about the idea that you, you as an indie, will be drowned out uh, by yeah. the marketing teams of yeah. Activision, Ubisoft, and you so on and so forth once they you know turn ship onto in onto vr i mean i think about that every day and that's a big source of the stress in my life is thinking you know i'm so invested of this i'm kind of putting my all my eggs in this basket and it's working right now because those the activisions and eas aren't in the game yet and so it's easy for people like me to stand out but man, once they do, I'm just a tiny little blip on the radar, you know, and that's terrifying. <laughs> and it part of what drives me and part of what terrifies me. 
So I don't know. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have to see what happens. I I I think for a while there's gonna be sort of a sweet spot where the market's not big enough for EA and Activision and those people to get in, but it will be big enough for an independent developer to be doing okay. Um, and that's sort of the sweet spot that I'm trying to hit in the next year or so. Just so you know, uh, as long as I have this podcast running, I will do my best to highlight the coolest indies out there, yes, such yes. as yourself. Because Man. I got, you know, if who, I scots to, I gots to. Um, <laughs> that and EA and Ubisoft wouldn't give me the time of the day because they know <laughs> I will talk about anal sex and <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about, like, you know... Um, we're going to talk about Tesla for 10 minutes and it has nothing to do with video games. You know, colonizing <laughs> Mars. Uh, Carmack, I saw, uh, in, not only am I too much on Reddit, but I'm on, I'm spending too much time stalking John Carmack's Twitter feed because I saw a tweet uh, yeah. where he was uh, he was retweeting something, a conversation with Elon Musk and Anderson, and Mark Anderson. Uh, Anderson. I, I don't know how to pronounce that guy's last name. Anderson? Uh, Anderson. There you go. Is this the Andreessen Horowitz? Horowitz? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so they were talking about, you know, this, 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 um, the, the conversation was about AI, artificial intelligence. And Musk has been going on about uh, artificial intelligence is like summoning the demon. How we're, we're, you know, we're playing with fire when it comes to artificial intelligence. And it, unless we have a, some sort of reg- regulatory body, whether international or national, that is, you know, independent. And it's keeping t- tabs on the development of artificial intelligence. Then we're all gonna die because <laughs> the machine won't give a fuck about us. Or Elon, Elon Musk, Musk thinks that? Yeah, yeah. He's like, it's wow. like, are you that's, sure? That's kind of scary. Yeah. It, it, and so, like, uh, and so, and and John Carmack was, you know, retweeted. It was like that. This is why Mars colonies are are necessary so that we can go colonize. You know, have a sort of Aaron Lemke style, not have your eggs in just one basket, meaning planet Earth, right? So we would humanity would have an egg on, on Mars so that in case the species um, gets wiped out by artificial intelligence. Not only, here's another, like, let me take you down a deep, dark rabbit hole. Did you know Hello? that 700,000 years ago, I was listening what? What? on NPR, Hello? like 700,000 years ago, there was this massive, massive volcano ex- eruption. And I think it was Mambo, Mambo Tumbo, Mambo something in Indonesia. I, I might be wrong, but it was somewhere between 700 and 600,000 years ago. And it caused a cataclysmic ice age that forced that forced humans to originally migrate from Africa. Like that was the thing that made humans migrate in the first place because this ice wow. age dried out the Sahara and it made like uh, it made walls of ice that were three miles or like two miles thick. In, like in places like New York and London and, and Great Britain, and at one point humanity was like no more than two thousand people. Like, wow. like we were hanging by a thread, and you know these scientists mm-hmm. were able to nail down that we like uh, collectively come from this, you know, this this sort of extended family of of humans. It's crazy, man. And to me, to so th- when I think about that, it's it. like what makes me. You know this this civilization that we've constructed that we've that we reaped the benefits of like it's not as dirty as we liked and and as permanent yeah. as we want it to be or think that it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just gives it's me a terrifying thing. That. Yeah. Once you start thinking about it, there's a really cool book called The Black Swan that's about 
low probability, high impact events. And the fact that these types of events are so hard to predict, yet their their outcome, their influence on society is is proportionally much greater than all these smarter, or I mean, these uh these smaller events. And you know, the, one of the examples is nine eleven. Is like that's something that no one could predict. I mean, unless you want to get into the conspiracy theory stuff, but whatever. Um, but it, low low probability. So it's like this this has a very low probability of happening. But if it does happen, it completely changes how our government works and how our airlines work, and you know what terrorism means. Um, and we're just not we're not very well fortified against these types of events. It's like there's probably one lurking around the corner right now that could completely change everything that we're not at all prepared for. Um, so, yeah, once it's terrifying program that looks for asteroids that are coming towards earth we, we they cut funding for that thing so that sucks and that you know and talk about like again these existential low probability things that we should keep an eye out just in mm-hmm. case yeah that's really sad i it's when you start looking at the numbers of nasa's budget and compared to the defense budget it's so it's so sad it's like you know if we just had a little bit more money for space exploration, we could do so much cool stuff. That and, and maybe volcano research, because we are sitting on a massive supervolcano. Well, I'm not. You are. <laughs> well, you'll get it too. Like you're, okay, okay. It's it's probably gonna wipe out. <clears throat> it, it, I mean, it, it was. It's probably gonna cover the whole continental U.S. once it's like exploded. Oh, no. It's so huge. It's massive, and that's not even the biggest one. The biggest one is lies underneath the Pacific Ocean, and it's a volcano the size of Kansas. Can you imagine <laughs> a volcano the size of Kansas? That's insane. <laughs> and so, help me figure this out, Aaron. And I know we're not talking about VR at all, but here's the thing: we see. All around our, 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 you know, through the media, through your know, politicians, through the thought leaders, they use fear to motivate the masses, to di- to dictate their agenda, to drive mm-hmm. the agenda in their direction, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I I have this in my in my mind and in my in this in my in my chest, I have this moralistic argument happening between these two these two sides of my brain one of them says one side of my brain says like well if these motherfuckers are using fear and you know fear to to spread hate and to drive war and to uh, you know create uh circumstances that benefit them why can't we meaning i use fear the same tool that they use to scare the shit out of humanity so that we can go out into outer space. Like, you know, I can, I can, pro- I can do a pretty good job at scaring people about super yeah. volcanoes and cancer size, you know, and, and, and asteroids and X-class solar flares that might not happen at all in our lifetime. But if they did, right. if they did, uh, would right. we want to pay that consequence of not having reacted in the first place? Or maybe, maybe uh, um, an asteroid that's, en route to hit earth is the best thing that could happen because it would it would terrify us and we would have to get a program together to to squash it you know we would have to call bruce willis we'd have to call bruce up (laughs) no but uh well think about the space race back in the 50s and 60s the only reason that we did that is because we were afraid of the russians so maybe we just need to align our fears 
in a way that promotes innovation and exploration. You know, and and an asteroid could have that, or or a solar flare, like you were saying. Isn't that a sad thing though about the about the human? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just so dumb. And and another part of that, like the media is is a huge part of this. It's you know the scary stuff stands out and it's sensational, and we like watching TV about it. And you know, there's far less stories about good Samaritans and you know, kind of like love based stories. Fear is just. Good it's good TV. Yeah. What is love? <laughs> don't don't I that's <laughs> um no the, definitely I think that What is love? Baby don't hurt me. That there is um yeah this love is uh, love is hard to like you know get people to get behind though. Like there is this in, yeah. there's this there's a certain type of mind that will like, yeah, you know, I feel it. I dig it. I know what, I know what, when you say the word love, I know what you mean, but other people like, yo, they'll brush you off. Like, what is this cheesy shit? Like, you know, kumbaya, like, and then how do you reach out to them? Like, you know, if they're, I think artists can, artists can make inroads in that respect. Like if you think about the Beatles, they said so many profound things about love that were so popular back in the day. And, you know, with kind of there's all you know there's the nostalgic folk who still love the Beatles like me, but that their message is lar- largely kind of dying out. You know, all you need is love. There, you know, that that t- the the love that you take is equal to the love you make. Yeah, ah, that's a deep one. Yeah, and that's a true one. Love each other more? Do you think? Yeah. Yes, I absolutely think so, because I think the coolest stuff in VR is going to be social experiences and it's going to be a lot of social experiences with people that you've never met before. Um, if you've ever played the game journey, you know, that game is, is completely anonymous. Well, until the end, it's completely anonymous. And even once you know their, their gamer tag or whatever, you don't really know who they are. But like I bonded with that person when I played that game with them. And I don't know if that's love, but that's at least compassion. You know, I cared about them and, I was looking out for them and they were looking out for me and we were working together. So, you know, there's not a ton of games that do that. Journey is kind of the first one and and I think the best one, but VR is only going to amplify that. And, you know, no one's, no one's experimented really with interacting either. Well, I guess VR chat and, and, and Rift, Rift Max, but like interacting with characters in VR and talking to other people, even if those people are kind of like scripted, um, like animated people, I think could be really powerful. And nobody's really doing it yet. Yeah, there's there's so much there's so many roads and so much progress that's yet left to be made in terms of you know interacting with avatars and you know giving. For, for example, I I can't wait to the day where I can have a conversation with a um, you know, clever bot sort of artificial intelligence inside of a virtual reality avatar. Um, that would be weird. That would be a really weird thing. Like I li- could literally say to myself, "Oh, now I am having a conversation with a a computer embodied right before my eyes." Like it's so weird that we've we're so intelligent. Like we humans are so fun, yeah. are so crazy intelligent, and yet, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it makes me think of the Uncanny Valley. That's definitely going to come up again. Um, and actually. I guess this is sort of related. Have you seen these Old Spice commercials? They're called Fourth and Touchdown, 
and there it's like a fake sports talk show where um <laughs> a robot interviews well he interviews Drew Brees he interviews a bunch of uh like NFL players basically and <laughs> but the robot so it's a, it's it's an NFL player talking to a robot and he's like squarely in the uncanny valley his face is really weird he has a voice but it's like super roboty and you know like he has these gestures that are really weird and funny looking but it's the first time i've seen the uncanny valley used for purposeful comedic effect like a lot of the stuff a lot of the creepy robots that come out of japan like there's researchers who devote their life to that and it's no laughing matter to them even though it looks really funny to us um but this was the first time i saw the uncanny valley in the weird kind of like funniness that comes out of it being used intentionally um so it's yeah i i encourage everybody to look it up it's called fourth and touchdown it's it's hilarious let me ask you this question then do you, you know when it's not a it's not a question of if, but when we're all inside the matrix and the machine assigns us a artificial uh, partner, uh, and then would you, would you rather have an artificial and I mean I'm talking about like a, a girlfriend, a virtual reality girlfriend, uh, and it's an mm-hmm. AI. Would you rather have that AI modeled after you know a model that is that has crossed the uncanny valley that is so human that you can't tell the difference slightly? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather have it more of a cartoonish slash, you know, this is straight up not human, human, but it's good enough, and therefore I'm going to have VR sex. I'm going to have VR sex with it. Um, hmm, maybe I'll take the ignorance is bliss route if I can think that it's a real person, but it's actually an AI. If it's con- if it's if it's convincing enough, and I can never tell the difference, that might be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just once in a while it gets a couple glitches. Yeah. <laughs> Sega. <laughs> um, honey, honey, are you okay? <laughs> say that again. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, um, no, there's, I, I, there's definitely. I feel like we're not that far away from wait, being able to witness uh, the next virtual reality wedding will be between a, 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 mm. a person and an AI or an mm. avatar in VR. Man, that's that's crazy. I I think you're right. Man who married his Nintendo DS. So <laughs> there's <laughs> there's gonna be someone. I'm telling you. Um, oh and I will God. be there to cover it and find a guy so I can have him on the show. There you go. Uh, or girl, because you know, hey. Um, yeah, man. This yeah. This whole VR thing is so fascinating to me. Uh, the back. The, the real. The real thing that like that gets me thinking about. VR a lot is just the neurological aspects of it like what is happening to the human brain when you're in VR and yeah there's so much yet to know I mean do you think that and I, and I don't know if I asked you this before like how do you think this could get abused um, the, the this powerful medium like I think we could very very easily abuse it in 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 a subtle unintentional way if if we just end up making games as they're being made now where they're they're kind of just purely pleasure machines and a lot of them don't really teach you anything about life a lot of them honestly are a waste of time i kind of think world of warcraft you know maybe you develop some social bonds in there but it's a lot of 
tricking your your reward centers in your brain and sort of timing rewards just right to where you're compelled to keep doing these really boring tasks. Um, I think that's so dangerous. And I think that's something that we could end up doing, like I said, unintentionally. And it really could just waste a whole lot of time and make us not productive at all. Um, but there are some games, you know, recently that have that have been really good. They they're attempting to they're at least attempting to enrich the life of the user. So like Journey, I think is squarely in that camp. Um, games like Braid or Fez, a lot of them are independent games, um, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, I think games can completely change your perspective on certain things. Like I remember playing Braid and just totally made me rethink time and how I thought about regret and, you know, things that happened in my past. And the only other time that I'd been affected that deeply by an art form is reading a novel, like a really, you know, a novel where they can really dig into the themes and concepts. So my hope is that we end up using VR to enrich our lives and not to uh, to run away from them. In Braid, where where does the enrichment happen? I mean, if you sort of get my, my question, like, do you, do you find it once you're done with the game? Do you find it as you're going through it? Um, and how does that differ from, from a novel, for example? Well, the cool thing about um, interactive rhetoric or procedural rhetoric, which is what games can involve in, um, is that they're interactive and they're, they're just a lot more potent. So in Braid, he can suggest a metaphor through the books that you read when you're in the clouds. And then you go down into that world and it turns out the game mechanic is directly related to that metaphor. In fact, the game mechanic is an extension of the metaphor. Um, and that happens in novels, but it's you know it's less potent because it's passive. It like only exists in your brain and you kind of have to work for it. Whereas in a game, it's right in front of you the whole time and you're, you know, you're completing that metaphor. You're interacting with that metaphor. That's to me, that's what's really cool about games. If you had to choose what, like what, what are your top three favorite video games of all time? Whether indie or not indie. Braid is in there. Shadow of the Colossus. Um, well, okay, right. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really obsessed with stealth games and Metal Gear Solid and Splinter Cell. And right now, I'm playing Splinter Cell Blacklist, like the last Splinter Cell game, and it's just so goddamn fun. Like once you get good at kind of the stealth combat, oh, it's so. Is that fun. the one with the co-op? <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, there's some co-op cool co-op stuff. stuff. I've been meaning to play with my little cousin that that game because because of, of the co-op in there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have it? We should play it. Uh, I am going to get it as soon as it goes on sale for the Steam Christmas. Oh, nice! <laughs> oh, nice! For sure. Nice. I'll I'll, I'll send yeah. you an invite. We'll, we'll we'll get something going on. Cause I yeah I I'm, I'm I love co-op games. They're my they're my thing. Really, and co-op stealth is so fun because like you're out you're outsmarting the bad guys and like you're planning and you know you make this plan and then you go execute the plan. I just really like the structure of it. Now imagine that in VR. Sorry, I was gonna say a good stealth game is a good is really a puzzle game after a certain point. Um, yeah, stealth. Yeah, Metal Gear nailed the puzzles. I, I or in terms of again, you know, moving around or figuring out the the, the different patterns for you know soldier uh, p- patrols or you know like yeah. uh, utilizing your different items like 
like I abused the hell out of that box, I, you know, to hide away from the soldiers. Like <laughs> that was not that was probably my only stealth tool in my repertoire. You know, I didn't use any of the other gadgets that Snake had. I didn't even any most of them. I was like, you know, what is this microphone for? Like, uh, but yeah, it was all about that box, man. If I had a million dollars right now, I would I would make a VR stealth game because I just think that's going to be so fucking cool. Like, like I've played a few first-person stealth games, like, on a monitor, and they haven't been great because you have no periphery, really, on a monitor. Like, you kind of do, but you just don't... You're never very aware of your environment. Like, that's why Metal Gear and Splinter Cell, I think, work better because they're third-person, and so you get this extra... Like, you can see around corners and stuff. Um, whereas if you're playing uh, Dishonored, kind of a first-person stealth game... You're you're pretty limited on what you can see, but I think in VR you could get away with that in first person. Like you could be much more aware of your environment and like what's around the corner. Especially, dude, just imagine DK2 positional tracking, peeking around a corner and like sniping some dude in the face with your pistol. God, that would be so that would cool. Be fucking awesome. But how hard how hard could it be to like make a uh, a stealth mechanic work in VR? Like, is that would that be too hard? I mean, because well, it, it would just be a lot of content. Like, like yeah. That's what I, like I'm trying to get away from content heavy games because like like in Splinter Cell Blacklist it's it's like some really some really well honed tools and guns and stuff but then there's just a there's a whole bunch of levels and each of those levels has to be designed and tested and you got to make sure the guys don't you know the AIs are working properly and all the whatever the patrolling algorithms and stuff. So that's the part where I I kind of balk and it's like that ah, seems like a lot of work. Have you tried the VR training room? It's an older ish demo. It's been it's been it's been around for a little bit, but it's it, it they took the VR or they 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 I don't know if they they took it, but I think they they took inspiration from the Metal Gear series. You know, Metal Gear Substance. They had that VR training room. And they did that in yeah. VR, and you're and you have to like sort of go around the soldiers, and the the interface was really interesting. I I, I can't remember very well how it played out, but it was it was actually fun. It was really fun actually, just sneaking around past soldiers and stuff. It, I don't know, I don't think it had positional tracking, but that would have been a really nice addition if it did. And what is it called? It's, it's I think it's VR training. It's just VR training, like uh, and then simula- Yeah, I think that's all it was. And uh, yeah, they 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 took inspiration from Metal Gear, uh, so nice. Hell yeah! I always learn so, always much, so much, much when I come on this podcast. <laughs> I I don't have a life. I spend too much time on the internet. That's, that's, that's uh, but but it but it helps. It helps with conversations. Can you the conversations fresh? Um, there you go. Tell me more about you know people around you like you know how did i have i asked you about how your friends have reacted to you being inside and not inside but like in vr <laughs> in, in the vr realm or you know your family like uh, how 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 have people in in those circles sort of have reacted to you and the rift yeah my luckily my parents are pretty cool and they right when i showed them the rift they got it they were like okay yeah this is going to be big they're you know they're technology savvy my mom probably knows more about technology than i do she's a civil engineer and like she's always on flipboard which is this 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 app for browsing content it's kind of like a magazine yeah but she's she's like all over the technology one and so i you know like i found out about the google leap uh google magic leap investment through her like she sent me a text about it so 
So she's definitely on it, and she, yeah, like, I don't know, back when the gear, like, photos of the gear first leaked, she told me about it. She's like, look at this. So she's on the ball, and, like, my dad's always been a big Apple guy, and so he knows kind of the latest. So, yeah, luckily my parents are into technology, and and they get this, and they're willing to kind of support me. Um, Yeah, and a lot of, you know, my friends, they're they're gamers for the most part, so they they get it, too, and they're they're really pumped for it. I mean, a few of them are skeptical of of it catching on, which actually it's good to have friends like that because it kind of brings you back, back down to earth whenever you talk to them. Um, but yeah, man, for the most part, people are into it. And, you know, the, the community in Austin has slowly been growing. Like, uh, for a while, it was, it was me. Like, I remember back when the DK1s were shipping, um, I had a friend who... I don't know, he's just kind of like a local game aficionado tastemaker. And so Oculus, for some reason, sent him like their numbers of uh, shipments of DK1 to Austin. And back right when they were shipping, it was me and one other guy in Austin who was getting it. And so there aren't a ton of people here that are doing it. Um, that being said, we did, we did just get um, Alex Schwartz moved here, who is... Uh, the man behind Alchemy Labs, they did uh, the skydiving the skydiving game. Yeah, I know Alex. That's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he just moved down here from Boston, and so he's super legit, and I've learned a lot from him. Um, we actually were next this coming Thursday. We're having our first kind of Austin VR meetup, so it's 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 starting to grow. Very excited about that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck with with the meetup, and yeah, to tell Alex I say hi. I'm I am searching for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> dude, that that's so awesome that your parents are like behind VR, and your mom sh- she should be a developer. Uh, she should try to. <laughs> um, she's good at it. She's she's all over Photoshop. She's a really really good photographer. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> d- is there, you know, is there a place in VR that you that you're probably gonna stay away from as a as a professional? Like, are you, you know, is are you just solely sticking to to, to gaming, or do you think you you'll branch out to different aspects of VR eventually? What are your thoughts? Well, I would I I kind of think I'm not even really doing gamey games right now. Like, yeah, I kind of think what I'm making is more experiential stuff and. You know, virtual nature is a big interest of mine, and uh, I, I've been trying to get more into. I've been trying to make inroads into the medical scene here in Austin. It's not really a scene because it's a bunch of old people. A scene is usually like young hipsters, um, but there is there is there are a lot. There's a great, very strong medical community here, and obviously UT has a great uh, research program, and so I'm trying to get more into that. And I guess. I've kind of always been doing that anyways, but on a less uh, official tack, this is going to be more like, we're, so we're we're actually going to have a clinical trial for this new app that I'm working on, and we're going to get some real data from, from real patients. Um, and so that's probably what I'm the most excited about outside of kind of the traditional, more traditional stuff that I've been working on is, you know, actually getting some data behind uh, some of these relaxation apps. Hello, Mr. Lemke. Are you there? Hello. Hello. Okay. Did I lose yeah, you? you lo- I lost you for a sec. No worries. Um, oh, where did we leave off? <laughs> we were very excited about the medical aspects of, of VR. and 
yeah, I, you know, it's it's a great opportunity, and I I'll know more in a, in a few months. But I think I think it could be good. There's a lot of excitement in in VR. I mean, in the medical world for VR right now, um, especially in the realm of uh, of pain and pain therapy, because right now pain and chronic pain are very very poorly understood, and it's it's still kind of the wild west of medicine. Um, and they're looking for any new any new treatment they can find and there's there's been a number of studies over the past 15 years that have found immersive virtual reality to be as effective if not more effective um than opioids and that's kind of an astonishing thing this is you know we've been using opioids for thousands of years to treat pain and all of a sudden we have this this technology this media that we can strap onto our face and is actually better has far fewer side effects is far less addicting um than than the drugs that we've been using since ancient times that and that speaks to the power of the medium really because we you what you 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 have this thing that it's non-invasive and you just strap it over your face and it's it has the same effect if not subscription or a prescription to oxycontin or whatever both on your wallet and on your body (laughs) and it's yeah i if 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 this doesn't take off like the utilization of vr for medicine i'm i don't know what will because there's just so much uh potential you can hack into the brain without going inside the brain (laughs) yeah i i think if vr doesn't catch on in the consumer space which I think it will, but if it doesn't, I have no doubt that it'll. It's only going to gain popularity in the medical space because the data is just too good to ignore. It's like this is. It's kind of like a miracle drug right now, except it's not a drug. It's like a miracle technology, and it, it really is changing how we think about pain. Yeah, it it definitely will. Are you are you still there? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, no, it definitely will, and it, it will definitely change a lot of things. I, you know, I was speaking to a reporter from a uh, place I shall not mention, but uh, and this was at the Proto Awards back in back at Oculus Connect back in those days, okay. and you know, he was talking about how, um, you know, he he was hel- a bit more than just health healthily skeptical about the viability of VR. And the, hmm. the argument that he was relying on was uh, the idea that if the big companies, like the big publishers, don't jump in the game, don't develop, don't bring out their their IP and 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 port it over to VR, then it, it might as well not. We might as well just go all pack our stuff and all go home. Like really? Yeah. Like he was really like that. You know, he's like I have. He's like I haven't heard anything from Activision. I haven't heard anything from EA. You know, you know, mm-hmm. you know, if, if if they're not if they're not behind us, you know, where is this gonna go? Like or like, and he's like, you know, how how legitimate is all this if they're if the mm-hmm. people? And then I had to, and then I was like, I dropped some, I dropped I dropped the bomb on him. I was like, dude, you know, it's um, it is bigger than gaming, so so there's so there's gotta be. But mm-hmm. I mean, but what do you think? Like, did it does it really does it really rely on 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 these big big names for 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 the legitimization of content in vr and vr itself to 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 be out there like what do you think we're gonna know a lot more once the gear is out and we'll be able to look at the sales on that and say well we'll we'll know a lot more about the market and and how interested people are in vr um but no i don't i don't think we need activision i think 
you can already almost if you're working your balls off you could already almost make a living just selling to the kind of enthusiast community um so like because there's already you know a hundred thousand two hundred thousand people in there and for a one-man studio if you're selling enough of your game that's that's okay it's not great but it's okay you're still you're making some money um so yeah and it's not like that community of enthusiasts and developers is going to go away that's only going to grow so kind of like your early adopter market is just going to start getting bigger and bigger and it's not i don't really see it diminishing um maybe it's not going to be like a huge consumer spike if we're talking worst case scenario but I think it probably will. And you know, we're 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 all biased, all of us insiders, but I I really I just think it's too cool to ignore and when you put on the gear you get it. It's the coolest shit you've ever seen. <laughs> it's true. It, it it is the coolest shit. Uh and we're here we are witnessing it. Well, you at the edge of it making stuff for it and I'm here talk, you know, talking and learning about all the cool shit that people like you are making. So it's yeah, it's a crazy time to be alive. Uh, you know, what do you think in terms of you know technologies around VR that that might complement it, like three D printing or uh, you know gestural like leap motion sort of stuff. But even going even fur- further than that, like what do you think will be you know the hand in hand technology that will that will that will catapult VR forward. Will, will it be three D printing? Will it be, you know, or is it something different and totally out of the blue? I'm very excited about three D scanning technology. I think that has the potential to completely revolutionize how we build games, um, because all of a sudden you don't have to model your trees and your rocks. You you just scan them or Ideally, there's a company that's smart enough, and maybe there already is, to have a database, an online open database of scanned objects where you can just go and search and download a coffee mug and put that coffee mug into your scene and light it in Unity. Um, it's it's going to change the workflow a lot. So you're not going to have to be... And I mean, the asset store is already... The Unity asset store is already contributing to this, but a lot of that content is not very good. Um, once we have accurate you know, realistic 3D scans, it's just going to be, it's going to be a different type of design. It's going to be less about figuring out all the technical stuff of how to animate and, you know, how to model and how to get the normal maps and whatever to look nice. It's going to be more about, okay, what, what can you envision? And here's the tools, go and do it. Uh, That, so 3D scanning mixed with whenever we have uh, a VR interface for building environments, it's just going to be incredible. Yeah. Have you heard? So, you know, we're talking about sort of pro- Project Tangle sort of technology, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Have you heard of uh, 123D Catch from Autodesk? Yes. It's amazing. And it's a free app that your iPhone can right. run. <laughs> and Android. So download it yeah, now. Yeah, it's free. It's awesome. I've scanned yeah, yeah. myself and a Yoshi uh, <laughs> action figure I had. So it's... <laughs> Yeah, and it's really, it's good. It works. It's pretty damn good. And so there's a phone version, but there's also a free web browser version that I think you can upload as many as you want and you can use DSLR photos so they can be much higher quality um, and you get much more accurate uh, scans. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. That... But but the the phone version is still pretty damn solid for what it is. 
And have you been able to have you so have you been able to use the for example have you been able to use the phone version took a take a picture of, of whatever you wanted to scan and then take that scan and, and throw it on Unity because I I've, I've done uh, I took a picture of th this Yoshi thing and then I uploaded it and downloaded it as an OBJ file then I converted the OBJ file to FBX so that it can be compatible with Unreal and then I threw it on Unreal and the problem was the mesh was there but I I couldn't find the textures. Like to, mm -hmm. so it it was just a this this mesh thing. Did you were you successful in getting like the the whole thing like the the mesh and the texture in, or uh... I've I've done it via the web browser version. I scanned a pile of rocks, and then imported that model into Unity with the texture. Um, but it's like it was way too high poly, so you have to go in and do some kind of um, polygon reduction in Maya or 3ds Max. Um, cause yeah, I, I put it in and I was running it on DK2, even on my, on my nice, uh, gaming computer and it couldn't, it couldn't handle like how many polygons and how high res the texture was. But I think, yeah, if you're smart about down resing stuff, it could totally work. But so let's, let's, let me try to figure this, uh, this thing out though. Like the average, the casual person, what, what purpose would this technology serve them if, you know, what, 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 what? What would my mother it's... or my grandmother want to scan <laughs> that then she would want to see through Gear VR later on? Mm. I think. Well, if we're talking about building virtual worlds, we don't need everyone to be super into scanning. We just need kind of the mavens to be into 3D scanning. And like, I mean, if you think about Wikipedia, it's maintained by less than a thousand people. So all we need is those thousand people scanning everything and contributing to a database. Um, that's that's if we're talking like building 3D worlds and pulling from a database. Um, but as far as like your grandma, maybe you know maybe there's a statue or something that she wants to scan that's you know gonna she has to throw it away or something. I don't know. It's it's a way to hang on to things in a, in a different way. Yeah, she has this slingshot she she used to use allegedly to uh to <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> no, no, no. It, well, she, when she moved when they my grandparents moved, first moved to this to their new house, it was fucking mm -hmm. it was an orgy house of cats. And they couldn't oh, get these cats no. to go away. And so they would throw water at them. And then my grandma started getting yeah. beans, like, you know, like beans that you cook with. Like, she started, like, using the slingshot to, like, try to nip the cats in the butt every time they come and poop in the, <laughs> took a shit in your yard. Like, dude, cat, seriously. Like, and they would, Dude, they would have these, like, again, massive cat orgies in the backyard. And uh, oh, it was very, God. very distracting for her, especially with her, <sighs> with her back. So she, she wasn't, uh, it wasn't a very pleasant thing to, like, have to get up every time. These cats were like, ah! having these oh, you know these crazy parties um but but <laughs> thankfully the, the cats are gone uh they don't they in nice. my and the slingshot has been retired <laughs> so and, and then no cat was ever harmed uh allegedly because uh, <laughs> okay but but here's again you know yeah i have no defense my grandma is a a cat killer <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. If she wanted to, she could scan the the slingshot for sentimental reasons. I don't know. I'm like I'm like a partial hoarder, so my office is very very cluttered right now, and I have all the stuff that I just don't want to throw away. And so maybe 
if I can scan it and then throw it away, it's I'll be at least a little bit more okay with throwing it away. Would you have a problem with ending up like that, like that iconic picture that gets thrown around in the internet of that kid who's like, you know, in this corner of his empty room, just a mattress, and he's just hooked to the rift, but because everything, because you know, he did, he doesn't need anything inside that room. He doesn't need physical yeah. objects. Like, is that? Do you think that's a sad view of the future? No, I don't think it is at all. I embrace that view. If if what that future means is we're not out in our cars driving to work, polluting the environment, you know, running into people, you know, that's a good thing. I, I don't think it's a bad thing that we stay inside and, you know, don't use a lot of energy and, and hopefully learn from experience, which is how we're supposed to learn um, in cool VR systems. Um I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it would be fantastic. At what point? At what point does the fanaticism or or the hmm or the at what point does wanting to be in VR become unhealthy? Like, do do you think that's you know until you die? Well, look, there's a lot. There's a lot worse things that you could be addicted to than going into a beautiful immersive world. You know. Like, there's things that are much more damaging. You know, this... To me, this seems like it's it's about the content. It's about what we end up creating um, for people to go into uh, all day and all night. And I think also a part of this kind of argument is I'm hoping, I'm so hoping that we end up with some kind of virtual economy. Um, and Valve is already kind of experimenting this with this um, with Team Fortress 2 and uh, uh, Steam Workshop and so people can make hats and accessories for their Team Fortress characters and there's people in that marketplace selling their items that they built making a decent living selling virtual goods to other people across the world and that's beautiful to me and it doesn't just have to be silly hats it can be anything it can be you know it can be a translation of your your Spanish paper or I don't know, it could, you know, it could be a, an article you write for something or some photos that you took that someone else wants to buy. I just think if we can if we can use VR to facilitate a virtual economy, then let's let's yes, let's all shut ourselves inside and interact with a virtual economy all day and you know, maybe go on a walk or go outside every day and hang out with our neighbors, but Let's quit driving around and, and polluting the environment. Yeah, no, and I, there's, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. But uh, my little cousin the other day was yesterday. Actually, I was playing Team Fortress Two with him, and um, he was explaining to me the, because I just play because I, because I, it's a fun game. I don't care about the, the background. I, you know, I care about the characters. They're kind of silly looking, but it's a fun game. They, the solid, they nailed down that gameplay quite solidly. And yeah. you know he was explaining to me the the how the economy works, how you can make metal and then you get hats and you can turn that. I I was I couldn't wrap my mind around uh, this you know how the whole system sort of worked. And I'm sure it's a lot simpler than it's I make it sound to be, but it's it was fascinating that my little cousin was making money playing video games do you think i mean is is that the next wave of the future like the next model of video gaming like we went from pay up front get your game done to premium to uh, you're gonna get paid to play video games somehow you know yeah i 
the like the ideal for me is a game where you can be creative and you can contribute to an economy you can be productive um and that's what you know that's what we need that's what we need for economies to work we need people to be productive we need to be we need for them to be engaged buying and selling stuff in an economy and if they're doing that virtually what's the problem it's you know it's just going to make it easier to do everything <laughs> we're going to be able to track where you know certain products come from and how the money flows and and all sorts of things i mean we're already seeing this with just how how much easier it is to distribute your product through the internet like that's uh, that's a big part of why the gaming industry is kind of exploding right now it's because steam make you know if you're a game developer you can make a game once and you can sell it a million times and steam lets you do that and now there's 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 stuff like itch.io which i'm using on my website where they don't even take a cut you can just anyone can make a thing and sell it digitally and make money off of it i think it's itch.io i've never heard of that before yeah itch.io it's it's really really easy to use um the guy designed it um, with independent developers in mind. The whole the whole idea was to make it as easy as possible um, for people to sell their digital content, and it's so easy. And on their website, kind of like in the user agreement, it says something like, "For a limited time, uh, developers get 100% of the the money that they make, whereas Steam takes 30%." Um, and it's it's said that on the itch.io user agreement for like two years so from what i can tell it's going to be like that for a while which is pretty damn cool um and there's a ton of great analytics tools and yeah it's it you should check it out it's it's really well done sounds awesome yeah i mean we're okay so how how does how does this developer the person who put out the tool how, how do they benefit from from the whole transaction uh the developer oh the guy who made the tool um I mean he gets a ton of data that's always worth something. Um yeah, and I mean he's empowering people so I guess he gets a lot of uh independent satisfaction, I would hope. Uh, yeah, and I mean data's worth a lot. Yeah, I can imagine. Huh. It's how did you mm-hmm. stumble upon that? Uh a friend of mine, a developer here in Austin told me about it. He'd been selling games on there and I was considering using the Humble Bundle. They have a widget, too, that's kind of similar. But, I mean, Humble takes 30%. So, if I if I don't have to give anyone 30%, that's that's a good thing. <laughs> okay. That, yeah, man, yeah, smart business move there, for sure. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. And you don't, you can sell anything. Like, I'm selling Eden River, but with Eden River, you get you'd Opera Nova, but you also get the soundtrack. It's like anything that's a zip file you can upload and sell to people. So you could, you know, you could sell wallpapers, you could sell your photos, you could sell articles that you've written, you could, you know, you could sell anything. Where do you host the files out of uh, Dropbox or Google Drive? Yeah, yeah you, can ho- you can host them on Dropbox or they have their own server that you can upload stuff to. Wow, very nice. That's, Fantastic. yeah, that sounds awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Well, Mr. Lemke, do you have any other things that are, you know, in the back of your head that you just want to... Let out before we start bringing things to a close. Oh, man. Well, so I went to ACL a few weeks ago, which is a big music festival in Austin. And the whole time I was there, I kept I couldn't stop thinking about what is the virtual concert experience going to be like? Um, 
and that's just been plaguing me since then. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to come on the podcast just to kind of hear what, you, what your thoughts on the whole matter. Um, but but one thing I noticed at ACL was the best concerts are the most immersive concerts, and that's a word that's not normally thrown around in in the music industry. Um, but it really is true. And if you go to an electronic show at two p.m. and it's still light outside people just aren't going to be as into it. Uh, whereas if you go and it's nighttime and you have a little bit of anonymity and it's kind of darker, people are way more into it. And that, I mean that I kind of liken that to, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever tried these academic VR headsets that aren't blackout and they kind of you can like see out the side, you know what I'm talking about where they'll just hang a display in front of you with some lenses. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's like throwing a concert at 2 PM that you want people to dance to. It's, you know, it's good and it's convincing, but it's not really going to immerse you. It's not going to transport you to a new place. Um, it's it's not very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, a, a lot of the electronic shows, they, they just had these insane light shows and, you know, huge, huge set pieces on stage. I saw Skrillex and, you know, along with his lasers and his crazy light show, he had he had like a spaceship that he was in the cockpit of on stage and he was like the pilot of this crazy alien spaceship and then towards the end of the concert it it kind of like took off and went up and above and like almost out over the audience a little bit and it was so goddamn cool and uh every electronic artist i saw had you know just a very immersive show and that's they've they've figured it out like that's what they're trying to do they're trying to transport people to a new place and so how do we do that virtually what is the what is what is the standard going to be for virtual concerts well, off the top of my head i can think that i i'm thinking the most difficult challenge there in terms of being able to simulate a concert experience is like well how are we going to simulate the drugs that people take at those concerts because then that's going to be for vr but I, well, well i mean if the if the environment's cool enough you know it's going to be like a drug or whatever. People can take drugs in their living room when they're dancing, whatever you can do. It's probably safer actually. Ah, <laughs> there you have it there. I didn't even think about that actually. Um, but no, just thinking about that, the, the concert experience, I think, I think the lowest hanging fruit really is having put, putting a spherical camera that can stream live. And then you can come in with your rift or your gear VR and you can just, you know, tune in live into this spherical video that is, you know, playing the, the concert. And obviously you need 3D audio, uh, the best audio you can get, because that's what it's all about. But, you know, the, you know, I, I'm thinking about like, what could be the advantage of, of, of using this technology? Well, now you don't have to be, you know, in a crowd of humanity, sweaty, messy human <laughs> apes around you like you know now you can view the concert from pretty much any vantage point out there like even you know put put one of those spherical video cameras on a drone and and let that thing fly above the 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 crowd or the right over the artist like that would be i think that's the lowest hanging piece of fruit like piece of fruit oh that guy from reddit uh and he (laughs) and and yeah that's and streaming like that's the easiest thing Mm -hmm. You know, later on, I feel like they have to. You have to figure out a way to nail down some form of interactivity, so that you're just not a passive fly on the wall sort of thing. Like I feel mm-hmm. like they got. There's got to be a way to throw in a UI that can, you know, give you 
perhaps a, a dashboard of different vantage points, maybe commentary or you know what's going on the, mm. in the background or like you know uh, or a, a, vo a feed, an audio feed to what's what the artists are saying, you know, be backstage, you know, something like that. Like there's gotta be um, and sociability, like it has to be networked. Like like it, a concert experience really is is exacerbated by being around more people. So I think why should VR be any different? I think it should also be right, networked yeah. where you are you are with people in VR watching this concert somehow. Uh, That's kind of the key point, I think. Like the social factors is the crucial factor in all of this because if you like if you're walking down the street and you see someone dancing like they're at a rave, they look like a crazy person. <laughs> but if everyone is doing that, then, you know, we're all crazy together and none of us are crazy. And the hardest part is going to be conquering the social interaction. Um, and it's interesting that you were talking about streaming. I think that, to me, it seems like there's a lot of challenges there. Um, chief among them being, like, where can you get a nice 3D rig that is panoramic? I mean, like, Felix and Paul have figured it out, but it's not like they're licensing their technology to people. Um, I, I I fantasize a lot about the complete the completely virtual concert where it's all you're just in an animated world that's completely pre well not pre-rendered but you know no, nothing's live well actually i'll take that back as much is live as needs to be because that's another question that i pose to you is like if we're doing a kind of like a virtual virtual concert you know like a, a non-live action streaming concert how much do people need to see be created live like will people be dissatisfied if we just play you know a recording or or like play some pre-animated thing of a dj acting like he's spinning stuff live i don't know i don't know well that's a good i mean it, i think it'll depend on the kind of concert you want to i mean if it's a rock band like if you want to watch if you want to watch Linkin Park or you know those guys, like though, I think they're they're a bit more. They move a little more, so that mm -hmm. I, yeah, they 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 entertain a little bit more in terms of body movement. But if you want to see, I mean, not to knock on on someone like Tiesto or something, it's just a dude with a laptop waving his arms <laughs> up, yeah. up and down. I, I mean, that's where I mean that's where I think what you're saying it would add a lot of value, being able to not only peer peek into the live stream of the thing that is happening but also mesh in some crazy animations slash virtual reality elements in there like that that can yeah. add more to the experience I, you know every every concert tour that they do they'll have a whole new animation that you right. can drop in or or, or, or music mm. visualizers perhaps that that can give you mm. psychedelic like experiences or visions when uh, when the music is playing i don't know that there's yeah. a lot of the, the the thing is it'll happen because the potential here for the people who stand to benefit meaning the the companies or the artists is huge because now they don't their audience is not limited to how many people they can fill in a stadium now it's It'll yeah. be limited to how many people will be either have a VR smartphone device or a gear or an Oculus Rift. I mean, it all it, it all depends on how much money they want to make, and I'm sure they want to make a lot. So I think they'll put in money. Hopefully, I mean, it'll make sense. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Like you said, a lot of these DJs just get up there and push play on their laptop, and 
that's part of why they have to have these crazy light shows because they're not really doing anything. They're just kind of sitting up there and many of them act like they're turning knobs, but their knobs aren't actually doing anything. So yeah, if we could supplement that with something more psychedelic, something more fantastic, I think that would just be so cool. Um, and, and it could be the thing too where I I really like the idea of making an entire experience that's I don't know if you maybe you don't tell people that it's not live, but you could just kind of design the whole thing as a linear thing and uh and then just say, All right, we're gonna have a concert on Friday night, everybody sign into this server, you know, it starts at nine o'clock. And then once they're in there, you just hit play on whatever your crazy concert experience is and maybe you have fake musicians up there or you have really cool visuals, but I don't know if people are gonna care that it's not live or maybe like i said maybe you don't tell them that it's not live and then everybody's like oh this is nuts like this is all being generated somewhere i don't think that stuff matters that much um because you know that's why skrillex can get away with not doing anything on stage really um and i remember seeing ratatat probably five or six years ago and they 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 played at stubs here in austin and like they were barely a part of the show because it's two, Ratatat has two guys. This one guy playing guitar, another guy kind of doing beats and playing percussion. And uh, their whole show was like these two giant projector screens, and then they were just these silhouettes. Like you could barely even notice that they were there. And so, I don't know if we need. I don't know if we need it to be live. I think the illusion of it being done live somewhere is going to be enough. Well, I think if it's if it's going to come out pre-recorded, I think there's got to be there's got to be an added value than just me having a spherical video where I can just see something that happened. You know, if if anything you want to I think they'll want to take advantage of the time between recording the show uh, to releasing a product, uh, you know, whether it be uh, a and what do, what do the kids use these days? DVDs are out, so it's not gonna. You're not gonna go buy a DVD. You're gonna buy you know this experience off of Android or iTunes or whatever, and mm-hmm. you download it, and it'll like like what we were talking about earlier. It'll have you know more levels of interactivity. It'll have animations, you know, visual music visualizations happening. Um, perhaps you can that's where you can have a networked experience where people can actually come yes. join you in the concert space and watch this concert with you and you can play it over and over or rewind it or you know watch it from different vantage points that there is uh, yeah it, yeah being able to add another level of interactivity to that spherical mm-hmm. video is i think it's going to be pivotal if you're going to release something that is already pre-recorded i think yeah, that's, yeah a good that's a good point. point. There was, there uh, was um, did you ever see a, a website called turntable.fm? Uh, it sounds familiar, but please enlighten me. So it was this website where you go and you make an account and you have a little avatar and you can enter a number of different rooms that are based on genre. So there's like the house room, there's the dubstep room. And when you enter a room, there's just this little interface that pops up in your browser where there's a, a DJ booth up at the top of the screen. And there's four DJs who trade off playing songs. And then there's everyone in the audience. And it's just like little cartoon avatars, but each person has their own avatar. And what you can do, like the interactive layer is if you're really into the song, you can you can thumbs up it kind of in real time. And then if you do that, your character starts dancing. And and so that was kind of a cool thing um, to where 
if someone's kind of like DJing or controlling the interaction live, then you could you could look at stuff like that and maybe channel in on those specific people and do kind of I don't know little little visualization things just around them because they're dancing because they're into it or um i don't know there's all kinds of stuff you could do like i imagine if i'm if i'm the dj kind of like watching this thing play out maybe maybe i can use my leap motion controller and like put my giant hands out over the audience and sprinkle particles on them as the as the drop is coming you know do stuff like that but yeah there's going to need to be some kind of interactivity to make it worthwhile this point, I mean, at this point, they're just. Uh, I think you know, from from what what I gathered, going to the VR cinema, the first VR cinema meetup in SF a month ago was. Uh, you know, there's this. There's not a clear, sort of, because everything is so early, but there's not a very very much a, a clear sort of be- best practices, um, guidelines for 360 video by anyone like you know john will will, will, john for example will go up on stage and talk about how we're at the very edge and we're trying to figure you know we're trying to figure out jump cuts whether they work or not we're trying to figure Mm -hmm. out this and that whether they work or not and and cool valid points yes and then you'll have people like uh cinema 360 and they're doing the same with same technology and they'll say no we're, we're we're completely opposite you know we're we're that much far ahead when we are actually we you actually can use jump cuts you can actually use this and that and and so uh, yeah there's i feel like there's a there's not a, a cohesive um again vocabulary blueprint. yeah over yeah vocabulary for what is going to work what isn't or best practices so yeah. it's all being figured out and i like the idea that you brought up in terms of you you know cuz i was thinking about user to user interaction but you're talking about like oh, artist no. to user sort of interaction where yeah. you can get live yeah. yeah that feedback that's that sounds really cool too i think that would add a lot of value to and user to user is going to be hard like that's the whenever i get into thinking about this kind of stuff ultimately the trickiest part is going to be representing a bunch of different avatars dancing like in the same space that's that's i can't get my head around that really right now yeah yeah how do you pull that off i don't know but i mean Maybe, you know, you could fake it and you could have a bunch of fake characters dancing, but then, you know, you have to have a thousand fake animated characters and that's pretty tricky. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. <laughs> what, what were you going to say? No, that maybe, maybe you use, I mean, if, if we're talking about dancing and giving, uh, or giving the player dancing abilities, you, you know, you, you remember Guitar Hero, um, Guitar Hero 2 on the Wii was my favorite Guitar Hero of all time. It was the only Guitar Hero I've ever played, so therefore it wins. <laughs> but um, it, it it was a it was a game where you where you where you played with the the musical musical aspects of and and you used the controller as the buttons on the controller as ways to interact with it. I feel like you could do that in VR, like in a concert experience. Like, why not bring that to VR, where you either bop your head a different, yeah. a certain way, or maybe input device will be figured out by then, and then you can actually incorporate, you know, Guitar Hero sort of gameplay aspects to it. So now you gamify the experience as well, not only just, you know, um, make yeah, it immersive. Yeah, I like that. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing this out of, you know, pulling this out of my butt. But I wonder how what sorts of 
different ways, you know, concerts will be different because I think, I think people will have high expectations for VR <laughs> at the end of it. Like, I think the hype is very big <laughs> and I think, mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of like the cycle, the hype cycle. You've seen that graph, right? Where, you know, the, the, right now we're, I think we're reaching boiling or we're at boiling point sort of for hype. Um, is this the adoption curve or yeah 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 like there's this like these there's these these curves of like you know it'll reach boiling point and then it drops because then the product comes out and people's you know um hype gets uh, you know tempered down a little bit brought down to the ground a little bit and then and then it just steadies down and it just stays um mm -hmm. uh, i wonder will will that affect you know vr in terms of one investment Probably. to uh you know investment both on on the money front but also on people who want to try it out like well do you think people you know try out to develop like do you think people will be discouraged by uh for developing once the once that happens i because i think it's a matter of time i know i, I i'm not sh i'm yeah i'm not sure how bad it will be but i think it's a matter of time before the hype bubble sort of not pops, but but basically pops, and 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 people's expectations get grounded, and then we can actually work on the on on the mm -hmm. medium where where it really is. Yeah, I I I'd be curious. I mean, the thing about VR, it's like there ha there's no precedent once again, so it's t it's tough t to compare it to historical examples of of curves like that because we really just haven't seen anything like it. Um, I mean, maybe looking at cinema and, and how that was adopted and was received could give us some insight, but I don't know, man. I don't, I, I got nothing good to say about that. The hype bubble. <laughs> Going back to the yeah. experience, though, like, uh, just fundamentally, you know, uh, how would you convince someone to, to put, put on the rift and say, Hey, this is better than just sitting in front of the couch and watching this yeah. concert there like what do you th how would you how would you sell it or how would you pose it as well i d i can't remember who told me this it may have been carl krantz um but in second life the most popular thing to do is to go to dance clubs and dance anonymously with people um so if, if that's the case there's you know there's something about dancing and people not knowing who you are and in second life granted you're pushing the dance button and you're doing some pre-animated dance move but still why why do people like dancing so much why is that the most popular thing to do so i think inherently there's something that draws us to it and i think the the anonymity is a big part of that and that's you know it's part of why it's more fun to dance at night at a concert than it is during the day because you kind of you know, you just you just feel safer. You're less self-conscious, um, and so VR and kind of like virtual dance parties old, offer the ultimate anonymity, which is really exciting. You know what that makes me think of? Like humans will be humans inside the metaverse. Yeah, it's gonna be yes, exactly. Cause even like, because even because what is dancing after all it's peacocking it's this this it's this mechanism mm -hmm. that we've used to find mates it, you know the, the, mm -hmm. a, a girl sees my uh sexy moves and she realizes oh my god this man 
is fertile and he is you know a, a potentially a, a protector and a and a mate i mean this is happening down at the reptilian level sort of stuff like reptilian mm-hmm. brain sort of level yeah. um and then they get to meet me and they then run away because you know i'm a, i'm weird <laughs> so then the but then that same sort of reptilian level thing that we do as humans peacocking who would knew? Who knew we, we we would bring it over to the metaverse? We bring it over to a second life, yeah. and most likely, here, oh, so here it comes. Why hasn't anyone ever? Ha, why haven't I heard about uh, virtual reality nightclubs yet? Hey, because we haven't made one yet. That's why. I I want to, and I'm I've been talking to people. I'm trying to drum up excitement for this. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you might be able to do inside of Rift Max. Um, but if you really want to go nuts with it, you're going to have to make your own kind of dedicated platform. Um, but God damn, it's just, there's so much cool stuff you could do. And, you know, if you eventually, if it gets big enough, you can, it could be like a nightclub where you invite certain acts and you have different shows and you have different touring shows and it's, there's just so much potential. There's so much really, there really is. I, I, I mean that nightclub. So what do you go to the nightclub for? Most people go there. Well, most men go there to find women to uh, <laughs> uh, fornicate with. And so, uh, I mean, I'm, let's not be let's not lie about it. It's, that's what men, a lot of guys, go to the club for. So you know, mm-hmm. why not make a virtual reality speed dating app, for example? There we go. That could be cool. Or I, at least for a while, you know, I can't imagine these, these VR nightclubs, uh, having a very good male to female ratio. I mean, like, have you ever met a girl in VR chat or Rift Mags or? Twice. Really? Yes. Yes. They exist. They, they, yes, they are, they are out there. I, I have, they, well, again, I, I can't be a hundred percent sure that they weren't dudes using voice changers. But uh, um, they used female avatars and they had f- uh, female voices, and that leads me to believe that, I mean, you know, <laughs> anybody can be a dog. Like you know, you don't in the internet, no one knows that you're a dog. So I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll say, I'll say there were women there. <laughs> oh. Because uh, because VR, I mean, I, I it's 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 becoming easier and easier to run into women who are really interested in VR. Uh, well, every time I every time I talk to a girl about it or demo my game, it's not like it's not like to them it's like inherently manly or something. It's just I don't know. I think it's the people, just the kind of like technology people like we are. It's mostly males, but there's nothing inherently male about it. You know, everyone everyone is interested in it. Yeah. Some of the coolest I've seen some of the, some of the coolest things out there are being uh, being made by by women, but. Oh, overall, really, I'm I am gender neutral. I don't give a fuck what you make as long as it's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, what gender great, you are? Yeah. Um, good sir. Anything else that you uh, have in the backs of your head that we can talk for another half hour for? Oh man, uh, we talked about music. That was good. We're gonna start a virtual dance club together. A dance club, an arcade, in a speed, in an OK Cupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. That. I mean, once we work out how avatars work and stuff. Although, I don't know. Maybe the avatar is part of... I don't know. Maybe you can we'll get 3D scanned. Oh, photo scanned, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah there right. we go. Yeah. 
There we I go. Seen, I saw Reverend Kyle did it when VR chat. He brought along his. <laughs> oh his yeah. Scan, so. Man, that's gonna be a whole industry is avatars and like web services where you can go and build your own avatar or like actual storefronts that you can go to and get your avatar scanned and then kind of customize it. Because every time I've been in VR chat and like Dark Akuma or somebody is there with a really badass avatar, it's just like. Oh god, like I want that. It looks so cool. You know? It's just like, oh, I want to have that. Like uh <laughs> he has one. Is it is it Dark Akuma who has all the crazy ones? Yeah. There's like one that's a like this giant monster made out of cats. It's made out of like 50 cats. <laughs> and it's just so cool looking. And I imagine it's even cooler when you look down it's like, "Oh yeah, that's my body. That's that's cool." <laughs> That's that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, he's that's a, that's a whole industry, man. Yeah, yeah, he's really talented with his with his with these avatars and just uh, the room he created. I mean, the one that I that stands out for me was that one where um, it was you get you enter that room and you're getting Rick rolled as you're falling into an abyss. That was just yeah. classic. Like that was a, a classic Rick Rick rolling move there. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, another a scholar and gentleman of VR. Um, yeah, the, the whole avatar industry is going to be huge. You know what? Seriously, like, the people who are going to make the most money in VR are probably going to be the people who create these sort of mold or... I wouldn't say... I wouldn't use the word mundane. I just can't think of another word in my head. Services. services. Yes, these services that yeah. sort of yeah. just, like, um, you know, that, you, we, that we, will, we sort of will probably take for granted. Um, but again, avatars, insurance... V- virtual reality insurance so that if you lose all oh. your possessions in virtual reality whether because you get hacked or something else then you can have an insurance policy on that i don't yeah. know who knows that's a good one uh but we'll we'll see as it all develops uh either way it's either just going to gonna be watch, fun to watch you know, you know? hell yeah it's going to be crazy. It's going to be like living inside of a science fiction novel as it happens right before our eyes. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Mr. Lemke, you are a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. How can people stay in touch? How can they follow you and support you and, um, you know, uh, all that good stuff? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me again. Likewise, Mr. Miranda, you are a scholar of virtual reality. Um, I am on Twitter at Aaron Lemke, A-A-R-O-N-L-E-M-K-E. Or you can go sign up for my email list at unellodesign.com, U-N-E-L-L-O design.com. Or just send me an email, uh, unellodesign at gmail. And yeah, just say what's up or ask me a question, anything. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me, me, man. Thank you, man. I'll uh, look forward to the next time. Can, can I play a little bit of music as we go out? Oh, here? dude, let's. Yeah, yeah, you almost forgot, dude. Let's do that. Let's end with a with a bang. I'm down. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch over the audio here. <laughs>